Now we know that finding the perfect non-alcoholic drink can sometimes feel like a major challenge, but we've discovered something that's about to knock your socks off and your taste buds too. Go Brewing. Did you know Go Brewing was rated number one, number one, Michaela, for non-alcoholic beer in the country and rightly so. Fun fact. All of their beers fall under the gluten-free guidelines, so you won't get that gross bloated feel that you sometimes can get when you're drinking, let's be honest. Plus, all their brews without fruit have less than one gram of sugar. Because we want to feel sexy and sober and have fun, Go Brew is the perfect choice for us. And who says beer isn't sophisticated? When you could just put it in a champagne glass like I do. My favorite at the moment is the Sunshine State Tropical IPA from Go Brewing. It's the mango and peach flavor. As a listener, you can save 15% by going to brewing.com slash sobergirls or by using the code sobergirls. Plus, get a free two-day shipping on orders of $40 or more. Again, go to brewing.com slash sobergirls or use our code sobergirls for 15% off. Okay, can I be honest here? Yes. I used to rely on alcohol for a lot of things, including managing my PMS symptoms like anxiety, irritability, feeling blue, ugh, huge mistake. However, as a sober girl today, that is obviously not an option, but have no fear. Ladies, we found a solution to our PMS woes, alcohol so not needed. Enter Jubilance, your daily support and new BFF when it comes to true and effective PMS relief. It's so simple. Just take one capsule a day and keep your symptoms at bay. If you're interested in trying it, you can use the code SOBERGIRLS for $10 off your first order. I've noticed I have more energy, focus, less cravings, and my mood feels so much more balanced. Jubilance is a non-hormonal available over-the-counter and powered by two-ingredient formula used by thousands of women worldwide to live PMS mood symptom-free. Think less anxiety, less irritability, more peace, power, and dare I say, fun all month long. Try Jubilance for $10 off by visiting jubilance.com forward slash sobergirls or use the promo code sobergirls at checkout. That's J-U-B-I-L-A-N-C-E.com slash sobergirls for $10 off. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. I am so, so excited. I have one of my really good friends here with me, Joe Hudson. We also have Aaron. So this is the first time we are having a guest on the podcast, the Two Sober Girls podcast. Welcome. So Joe Hudson is a licensed clinical social worker. He's a psychotherapist, addictions expert, and the founder of Habit Architects. Clients come to Joe for help with unwanted thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Mm -hmm. Joe's area of expertise is in using hypnosis and rapid resolution therapy to clear these things at the unconscious level. Wow, powerful. Mm -hmm. After this clearing, Joe and his clients design and implement a system of habits that leaves them moving forward into living the life they want to be living. So, Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So great. Um, So, Joe, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit further and what got you into this work? Well, I I got into this work through through my own personal experience, and I've been in recovery since 2012. And um, and so around that time, my life had um, really, I mean, to not overuse the, the, the phrase, but hit rock bottom. I mean, it really, it, it, it sounds extreme, but, um, I ended up losing the career that I thought was going to be the thing that was going to make me happy. Um, and it was a slow, gradual decline of physical health, mental health, spiritual health. I was isolated, alone, depressed, frustrated, very much sick mentally and physically. And I knew that I needed to make a change. And um, so that began my recovery journey. And in that process, I encountered some people that that both professionally and non-professionally just really carried a strong message of hope and recovery. And that caused me to say, this is what I want to be doing. I don't want to go back to the corporate world. I'm, 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 
I'm wanting to do something that's going to make a difference. And so um, that began a process of going back to school. There was a there was a lot of years involved in that process and a lot of good experience that I was able to pick up along the way. And so I entered the field of addictions treatment as a counselor in 2014. And during that time was still continuing uh, the process of, of going back to school and, and um, ultimately getting a master's in social work and now a licensed clinical social worker. And, and, um, and I have a practice, as you mentioned, Habit Architects really focused on um, two of the most important things that I think um, in recovery. One, one is really clearing some of the trauma that might be the root cause of the addiction. And then after doing that, then looking at what are some concrete system of habits that can be implemented to really um, to keep clients moving forward towards the goals that they have. Wow. I love it. I love it. So I wanted to sort of dive right in and talk about trauma. I know this podcast, we, that's, that's basically the, the topic of the podcast. And before we hopped on live, uh, you did mention that trauma is a big word, right? It can mean many different things. Can, can you dive in into, into trauma, what that means for you and clients? Sure. Yeah. The first time I heard the word trauma, it was kind of like, whoa, no, certainly not me. And that word is so charged. It, it's, I think it's, it's a good thing that it's talked about a lot more. And one of the downsides of it is that people can form perceptions of what trauma means. When they hear one person talk about their trauma, they can begin to think, well, that never happened to me. So I guess I haven't experienced trauma. With clients, I, I often don't even use the word trauma. It's more what, what I see trauma as is, is something that has happened that at the time it happened was perceived as a threat to survival in some way. Mm -hmm. For one person, that can be a physical threat to safety. For another, it might be a sense of exclusion. And that comes in very much as my existence is, is in jeopardy. We're social beings. We need connection. So um, something comes in that's seen as a threat to survival. It doesn't get fully processed. And so it's being re-experienced in some way that's causing an unwanted thought, feeling, or behavior. And when I say unwanted, um, I, should, I should clarify that it's both unwanted and usually it's unnecessary. Mm. So unconscious mind is attempting to cause an action, attempting to deal with something that is no longer in existence. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there's this disturbance, this dis-ease that continues to cause um, the person experiencing it to know that something's not quite right and, 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 and want to do just about anything that they can do to make that stop. And that's in the subconscious, right? That's what I believe. Yes. That it yeah. is stored that, that, that that's coming. I, I haven't yet met a client who has told me, Joe, no, I I'm consciously thinking and I'm saying, yes, I want to react this way. It's usually snap. Mm -hmm. um, something happens and it triggers a thought, a feeling, a behavior. And the person is left saying, how did that happen? That, where did that come from? Wow. Yeah. And yeah. It's, and it's coming from unconscious. I can so relate to everything you just said as you're, as you're explaining trauma, which thank you for so simplifying it in a way, because I do think nobody wants to admit they've had trauma. And then part of my story is that I told myself, I don't have problems. Uh, who am I to say, I'm so blessed. I have everything. Mm. I have, I have trauma. I have major trauma, which I used turn to alcohol to just kind of diminish and quiet what you just explained. I was like, Oh my God, that's because there's this reaction. And I would look around the room and I'm in a big family. I'm the only one reacting that way. And they're all looking at me like, just calm down. And it's like nine one one and uh, tons of anxiety, tons of fear, a threat that's not there, but it's there. Yeah. It is kind and it is there. And that was part of my work and my, pulling out and I still am the roots of this trauma that, you know, from childhood. And it just, we all have trauma because we're all human beings having this human experience. But the way you described it was like, right. 
I can, I do have trauma on it and I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to say that. Cause I think I used to feel so ashamed. Like, I don't, I don't have problems. I'm, I'm good. I don't need anybody to help me. I will deal and cope in secrecy and kill myself, but I'm cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you for kind of laying that out there for us. Yeah, absolutely. That is huge. So Joe, do you believe that everybody has trauma? <laughs> kids adults I, like we've all been through trauma yeah I agree with what Aaron just said if you're alive you have had something um and it's and it's to varying degrees and it manifests itself in a lot of different ways but I can give you an example I mean it's 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 the it's the five-year-old who's in school and the the teacher's asking a question and the the uh the, the little little boy raises his hand and he's so excited to give the answer and he gives the wrong answer. And what does the entire class do? The entire yeah. class laughs. Mm. And, and so, you know, 30 years later, he's in the boardroom and the boss is saying, Hey, do we have any suggestions? And meanwhile, he's got a great suggestion, but the last thing he wants to do is raise his hand and give that. And of course that may not be a conscious decision that he's making in that moment but those are the types of things that happen and at the time it seems like well you know was that really that significant if it's something that happened that's impacting you in a negative way hmm. causing actions that are not useful or causing you to not take actions mm -hmm. that might be mm -hmm. so how would you know that that is happening how would that man in the boardroom know if he hasn't done the work like that? That's why he's feeling that resistance. Well, a lot of times the, the starting point is something is happening that seems to be a problem. So say, say, say um, we'll, we'll go with this example. So this man is, is saying, you know what? I'm not getting promoted at work. I'm frustrated. I feel like my job's a dead end job. And then we start to peel back what's actually going on in the job. And sometimes it may be um, a, a hesitancy to advocate for what one you know, may really be wanting. And then we start to look at where does that come from? And, and um, so, yes, it does start with just an awareness of something is not working the way that you mm. want it to work. And then when you start to peel that back a little bit, beginning to understand what may be behind that. Mm. A lot of self-awareness that people don't really have, you know, that's not something that we are taught to really check in and say, why am I doing the things I'm doing? I mean, really, or why is not something working? That is a good indication, right? Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's right. And digging deeper. Yeah. Um, one question I had was, do you think women and men have different trauma or do they cope with trauma differently? That's a really good question. And yes, and yes, I do think um, women and men and, and, you know, and, and those that are, um, you know, uh, non-binary, you know, all humans have different types of trauma. And I do think that um, some of those things, societal uh, level trauma, family related. So there's so many factors that can impact the type of trauma that one experiences. And I think that that carries over into how different people deal with different traumas based on what's expected. So for, I, I know I can speak, you know, from a man's perspective, um, often that looks like you've got to just suck it up. You don't, you know, you, you never let them see you sweat. You don't cry. You don't talk about your feelings. Um, you just keep it moving, pick yourself up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. So that's an example of, um, some men may deal with trauma by, by denying that they've even had it. Mm. Others may say, yeah, I've had it, but I'm sure not going to be talking about it. Um, and I think, you know, the, the same thing could, could carry over in, in looking at, um, at, at, at others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you have any tips for kids? If you're raising kids and you, you know, they're going to have some sort of trauma, right? There's many things we are not in control of when they're in school or in their activities, how other people speak to them, but how do you cultivate 
a feeling and a connection um, to express themselves um, and to be that safe space for them. I think you just, you, you said it right there in saying cultivating a space that encourages them to express. Um, and I'm not a parent, so I can speak from a, from a child's perspective mm -hmm. is, is that children are pretty, if I remember myself back in the, back in the, it's been some time, but pretty perceptive on when it's okay to talk about what you're feeling and when it's not okay. And I think that that isn't in, in, in of itself also a form of trauma whenever you've had something happen and you're getting the message that um, children are to be seen and not heard or they're to be, and, and you know, these things, some of these things that kind of pervade um, uh, society, children pick up on that and, and can sometimes keep things to themselves. And so my, my inv invitation would be encourage communication with whatever is going on and mm -hmm. make it safe. And um, children will test the waters. And when they dip their toe into the water, if they're met with a negative reaction, yeah. and if they're sensitive to that, which I know I was, um, they're sensitive to that. It's kind of like, wow, that that didn't, I'm going to make a note to never bring that up again, or I'm going to make a note to, yeah. I can attest to that 1000%. And it's, it's the worst feeling because it's still something that, um, I live with, um, with being able to express myself because number one, it's, it's not, it does not matter, you know, what, what, like it didn't matter at the time, or it just got brushed over, or it just like, anytime, like as a child, when I tried to speak up, it, it just kind of flew over. It was never explored. You know, there was never a space to sort of talk about it. Um, and when there was, it was backfired, yeah. you know, uh, down the line, like when something else happened, it was like put back in my face. So it's just, you learn to be quiet. Right. Um, but one of the things I do with my daughter is like, of course we have our moments and, but when she does speak how like something bothered her or this, and I listen, I'm like, I'm just like, Oh, like, I'm sorry. I apologize. Whatever it is. I, I find that like going for walks really helps too. Cause it just like allows the energies to flow and there's open space. It's like safe, you know? So that really helps as well. But because of my experience, I try to do it a complete other way, you know, to have that respect. Yeah. That's so beautiful. But you know, what I'm hearing from you and Joe is really the way out for adults too. Like we need a childlike approach to trauma, which mm. is beautiful. Like I want to be that child that you take on a walk. Yeah. Place and just say, God, I'm so overwhelmed and I don't know what to do, you know, because what I am learning, and I am a student of life truly now in sobriety. Yes, I've experienced trauma. And in most recently, just walking through a divorce, that was effing traumatic. Like, and now on the other side, I'm like, oh my God, I got through that. And I kind of like stiff upper lip, like deep breath. And now I need to get rid of it because it's, you know, I don't want it to reside in my soul and my body. And I need to have that space to let it out. And now I'm aware and thank God I'm in this community where we do this, but I need a walk. I need to get it out with a safe person. And I think for adults listening, we need to allow ourselves to have that compassion, self-compassion, self-love, and just it might not seem, I know we say, oh, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal if it's upsetting yeah. to you. Okay. Yeah. If it's something stuck in you, if you replaying the tape, if it's waking you up at night, if it's making you feel sick, and I kind of want to ask you, Joe, about this: how does how do our traumas, our stored traumas? We have trauma, we don't deal with it. Like in Michaela, what you were saying, I can almost push picture you as a child, push it down, push it down, like oh, you're yeah. in your. It's still you're, one of those the main things I I um I try I I have to actively work through, and it's not easy in relationships. It's not easy to express. Um, like I could talk and express in, in a safe space. And this, I look at as, as a safe space, but other than that, if, if I don't feel safe, I won't speak my truth. Right. Right. 
Okay. And, so and I look up to those people that like can just say whatever the fuck they feel and whatever they want. And it's, it's amazing. You know, I, I don't think I'll ever get there and that's okay. But just, e- just even being able to express mm-hmm. is huge. And being aware of it. But yeah. I'm wondering if those people had a mommy like you that way, babe. Well, so it's funny because everyone will say like your daughter, like she knows what she wants. She will say it. If she, it's a no, it's a no. If it's a yes, it's a yes. That's yeah. Healing. That's your healing. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. And so Joe, when does it happen where we have this trauma and we're pushing it down be, presents as an illness mm-hmm. presents as a need to self-medicate with a substance. What, what, what do you see in your practice? Yeah, most of the time it's it's when something, so the body, the body has this brilliant way of responding to something that comes in as a threat to survival by allocating as many resources as possible to deal with that threat. And it hasn't been that long ago that we, as a species, when we felt a threat to survival, we needed our sympathetic nervous system to release a lot of uh, chemical hormones and a lot of um, uh, neurotransmitters to really get our system ready to deal with that threat. So think, for instance, if we were in a, in a threat where we were being chased by a tiger, an example that's used a lot, we would need our blood to be pumping extra blood to our extremities because we would need to be running fast. We would need to be taking in a lot of extra oxygen. And the last thing that we would be wanting to do in that moment is digesting food, dealing with sickness and illness, because the most important threat in that moment is the tiger. Mm. It's not the cold that I need to fight off. So that's brilliant. And it works wonders when we're in a situation where we actually need that response. But in today's world where we're bombarded with things that are coming in and being perceived as threats to survival, that system stays on and it's kind of in a locked on position. Yeah. And just like anything that stays in a locked on position, it leads to burnout. It leads to, it leads to malfunction of other, um, other systems. So if I'm constantly in that response mode to that perceived threat, my body is not doing all of the other brilliant things that when it's in the parasympathetic mm. mode, that rest and digest mode, it's able to do. So it's able to heal. And so it can manifest itself in a lot of different physical illnesses, mental illnesses. And we see these behaviors that come as a way to try to cope and compensate for that deficiency. Mm. It's- amazing and that as you're speaking I'm like oh yeah that's why when I was younger I always had a stomach ache always had a stomach ache mm. of course I did always had a stomach ache I was just like because right if my body was not digesting food my body was the tiger was yeah. always present and I was oh, like this oh. like, like my stomach was like this and now yeah. it's like that's been my work fascinating so, so to, to tie it into addiction, so if if so, what's happening in a system that is in hyper vigilance overdrive is there is a sense of there. And, and I'm going to use some generalizations here, but let's just take, for instance, the case of anxiety. Anxiety is really it's actually strength. It's actually strength, but it's unnecessary strength. So the body in that moment is actually, if we were to do tests on how fast you could run, how well you could, you you could do a lot of things much better in that state of anxiety. It's just unnecessary. So when we see that now, if, if there is that heightened, uh, uh, that heightened ability, it's uncomfortable when you're not putting it to use. Mm. Let's think, for instance, and in, in an analogy that I use with, with a lot of clients, if you've watched, if you've ever watched a horse race and you see the horse get led into the gate right before the race starts, the horse gets in the gate. How long do they keep the gate closed before they start the race? It's less than five seconds. Yeah. Why? Because that horse is amped up with all kinds of energy. And if they keep the horse cooped up, 
that horse is going to wear itself out. It's going to be, it's, it's, it's not going to be pretty. It's, it's like the, the runner at a starting block of a race. There's all of this energy that's, that's ready to be released. If it doesn't get released, then it starts to become uncomfortable. So in the case of anxiety, we've got unnecessary strength and, and, and one of the ways that people know to reduce that, that unnecessary strength is by taking a substance. We'll use alcohol as the example. If alcohol can sort of bring that system down, it provides some temporary relief. Mm -hmm. The real question is, what is it that's causing all of that unnecessary strength? And if we can deal with that, then we don't need to compensate for it by pushing it down with another substance. Makes so much sense. It's getting to the root. And what I love too, and what Michaela and I talk about this all the time, part of our passion starting this podcast is to educate and share different means of getting your healing, you know, different modes, because of course there's AA and then there's Michaela has, you know, meditation and her holistic toolkit. And I love that you're offering something that I'm not familiar with. And it might say to people listening, oh, that's what I need. Or, oh, I could do that. Or this would help me because there are many ways to get to that place of healing and wholeness. And really what you're saying is digging up that root so that you can move forward and heal um, so that you're not that horse ready to take off in that race that needs to be injected with something to calm, but you can have that calm because your body's really supposed to, we're supposed to be able to self-soothe out of substance. And so maybe talk about, and I know we did a little bit in the beginning, but talk about those modalities that you offer mm -hmm. to help to, okay, we've identified the trauma. How do we move forward? That's the million dollar question, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, now how do we change this? And I just want to say, I've listened to a good number of the podcasts that, and, and the thing that attracts me to the message that you all have is the variety of different ways that healing can take place, um, both both in a in a community setting and also in a personal practice setting. So the methods that I use are geared toward communicating with unconscious, communicating with the unconscious, which is where I believe that trauma is stored, um, and and that's what's causing it to manifest itself in kind of an unpredictable although at times it can be predictable, but, but kind of an unintentional way, it's just arising. And it's arising because unconscious is reading data that's coming in. This is another radical thing. And I, I, I want to just, um, I want to acknowledge one of, one of the mentors that I've had, um, the founder of Rapid Resolution Therapy, Dr. John Connolly has taught me so much. And one of the, one of the, uh, so the, the simplistic way that he explains things um, goes like this, that data is coming in and what's causing a feeling or a thought that we might be having is not the actual data that's coming in. It's the way mind is processing. The it's data. the filter. So you have it's a filter. That's why everybody can have, let's say we're, we're in the same setting as, an, an, as adults you will have a different experience. I will have a different experience. And you, Aaron, will have a different experience. Wild. Yeah. Because totally. we have different filters. We have different beliefs. We have different things that we were taught, different ways we were spoken to, right? And it just collects. Yes, absolutely. And, and when I, so when I talk about unconscious, it can kind of sound like, wait, is this like this other person that's inside? No, it's, it's all one system or one body, um, one mind. It's, you know, there, there can be a tendency to separate the mind and the body. And I like the way that you all, when, when I hear you talking on this podcast, you're really talking about a holistic approach to mind, body healing, unconscious is doing so much while we're having this conversation, we can't fathom everything that's being regulated in our bodies. In our Even mind. for the listener right now. Yeah. There's so many different things happening in this moment. Exactly. Yes. And thank goodness it's automatic. Thank goodness. I haven't thought for a moment about my heart beating. I haven't until just now. Yeah. <laughs> I or breathing I or taking a deep breath or fixing your posture, right? Which let's all straighten out and take a big deep breath, right? But yeah, it's just checking in with yourself, right? Um, yeah. It's that awareness. I, you know, and I do 
highly recommend trying on different practices, right? And like learning from different methods because, and this is why I'm doing this is, is I don't know it all. I know my methods. I know my tools. I know they've worked for me. Some did, some did, some didn't. But until I started building my, my toolbox, right? I was using different ways of coping. So I was going out and partying and drinking and smoking and shopping and oversleeping and overeating. Like those were my ways of calming myself down Mm -hmm. of like, that's, that was like pleasurable to me. Mm. You know what I mean? And until because of yoga and it's funny because I'm, I'm working on my, um, I, I have my build your wellness toolbox tomorrow, but I was writing down the timeline and up until I found yoga, which was about 24, that was my spirit. I was building my spiritual toolbox. Then my brother passed. That was four years in, into my practice. Thank God. I felt so spiritually healthy that it didn't shake me. Much. Like, so like, because I had those tools, I was like, constantly connected. I was meditating. I was visualizing. I was, I felt him closer than ever, but then my health, because there was, I didn't have my wellness toolbox. Right. Mm -hmm. So my health, I I continued going out and I was just like depleted and tired and on and off, on and off, on and off of the, you know, the journey. I started building my wellness toolbox. That's how I became a health and wellness coach at 29. And I met Joe, we met, you know, seven, eight years. I mean, long time ago we met. Right. And so that was my spiritual toolbox, my wellness toolbox. And the next toolbox was the mindset toolbox that I didn't work on yet that I got once I became a mom, because to balance everything out and to feel whole and to like, you know, do the business and connect to the unknown and like believe and you know, pep talk myself every single day, like all of those things, I built my mindset toolbox. And it's like, you need those different toolbox. And eventually you just, it's, it all comes together and it becomes your life. That's why they say things like this is a lifestyle. It's not like one time you go to a yoga class and you're, you're done, you know, do you brush your teeth once in your life and you're done? No, you have to do it every single day. You have to brush your hair every day. You have to get dressed every day. There's things, but it just makes life like beautiful, you know, when you have those things to support you. And that's why I was able to stop drinking without any help. That's why I was able to quit um, smoking Mm. uh, marijuana without anything. And also I have healed my, um, my eating disorders. Like it just, just one day I woke up, it just was not there because I had, like, I was doing other things. Like, and this is when we, that's where the trauma comes in is I was taking care of that part of me Mm. without knowing it, but then everything else just sort of went away. Mm. My need for anything external is gone. I don't, I used to have to, like, I used to have to travel and I used to like would max out my card and I would figure out how to, like, I, I felt like I needed to always be out of the country because that was my mindset. Like I needed to escape. I was always traveling. I, now I'm like, I'm good. I'm good in my beautiful house. I have everything I need. I focus on good food and routines and that's it. It's amazing. Well, what you were saying too, like your mindset shift and like what Joe was talking about, the unconscious thought, mm-hmm. you captured them because our thoughts take, all thoughts take form. But if you don't know what you're thinking and you have this filter, I think that's where that modality that Joe was talking about is like, okay, let's jump in and look at your unconscious thoughts and how they are manifesting in your life. And Joe, how do you work with a client? Like, what's that look like? Like if someone's coming in, how do you start that? That's a, that's such a good question. And the first question I ask is if we could cause anything, if we could cause a shift in the way that you're thinking, the way that you're feeling or the way that you're behaving, any kind of action, if we could cause a shift in any one of those things, what, what would you like to get done? Mm -hmm. And, 
yeah, just what would you like to get done? And then from there, we can kind of, we can kind of, we, we, we can engineer what that looks like. And it's so simple, but beautiful. It really really is because um, as you all know, these things are all connected, the thoughts, the feelings, the behaviors. So it really doesn't make a difference. If you're, if you're out there and you're listening and you're, and you're thinking, well, mine is more this just like recurring intrusive thought pattern that I have that just says I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm no good. I, I'm never going to get what maybe yours is thoughts. Maybe yours is, is, a, is some kind of an emotion that you're feeling oh. and you're just continuing to, to re-experience that. Or maybe you find yourself, whether it be related to alcohol and other substance or another behavior, you say, how can I continue to do that? I said, I wasn't going to do it. I know that's not who I want to be. Where is this coming from? So wherever you are is great. If you recognize there's just there's something that's no longer serving me. It's just a default um, and it's dysfunctional. It no longer has, it no longer has um, any value. Yeah. Then, then we start to look at that. Um, we, the approach that I use communicates directly with unconscious because many people have had the experience where they're talking to a professional or a non-professional and they say, and they hear things like, well, you know, the past is the past. You just need to let go <laughs> or, 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 um, well, you just need to try harder. And, <laughs> and, and, or they I, give you one tool and they tell you to meditate, right? So it's a buzzword to meditate every single day. I do believe everybody should meditate every day, but there are other things, yeah. Yeah. right? And most people logically, so, so that's maintenance. How many, <laughs> yeah. How many people, how many people know? how to lose weight. Most people know, I mean, you know, if you ask, you know, it's, so it's not a head knowledge thing. Mm. Most people don't need to be told what to do. (laughs) They really don't even need to be told how to do it. It's, it's what's in the way. Mm. What's your filter? What is that? What's in the way? What's in the way. And if we can remove that by, from, from coming from a place of clarity and communicating to unconscious from that place of clarity, then the results tend to be, they tend to be effortless and they're yeah. lasting. It doesn't look like a whole lot of, let me just grit my teeth a little harder and I'm going to just find my well, way You become it. your Have best purpose. version of yourself. You do, you yeah. do. Willpower and what we know about willpower from a lot of research is that willpower is like a muscle. It can be very effective, but it can only be effective so long before it wears down. And so that's the frustrating thing about, diets or dry July or whatever. It's like, let me just grind through it. And, 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 and that can work. And then it leads to a vicious cycle of the person feeling like they're the failure. Well, Mm -hmm. it worked for so long. Why can't I just do this all the time? Mm -hmm. So communicating with unconscious, unconscious, you know, we we go through that, that, that can seem like a scary word of how are you going to communicate to unconscious? Mm -hmm. Well, we go through these states of natural hypnosis throughout the day. Hmm. Have either of you ever been driving a car and driven and 30 minutes later, you, and I'm talking about when you're sober, you, you arrive at the location and you say, I don't remember any of that trip. Oh my God. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You were, totally. you were in a natural state of Seriously. hypnosis. You kind of, it was kind of a natural what brain state. level. Is that, is that like a theta? It is. It, that's okay. right. It's the theta, theta brain. And by waves. the way, kids are from one to seven. They are in that natural hypnosis state, and they're in theta, and that's why they they live in imagination, right? Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, that's right. I got one why... more year. I got one more year, and, <laughs> and her 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 subconscious will basically be formed, right? Because it gets formed in the one to seven years. It, it's it's viewed as the imprint period and yeah. i don't know that it, it, that it's such a like a distinct cutoff where um, around yeah right 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 um but you're exactly right it's that imprint period so that's when everything is very it's 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 very literal so um yeah. a lot of those unconscious beliefs that is all taking place at, at um you know at an age before seven years old um so communicating with unconscious requires a lot more than logic or reason. We're in the state of that, those, those theta brain waves before we go to bed, right before we drift off mm-hmm. to sleep and immediately after we wake up. Mm-hmm. 
And so we, we know that, you know, and there are a lot of practices out there that have um, uh, affirmations and mantras that you can say right as you're drifting off. There are some great self-hypnosis apps that you can listen to. And you can do that in that state where you're just naturally in that more receptive state. Right. Uh, so those are, those are things that people can do on their own uh, through. So w- when someone is in hypnosis, contrary to what you've seen in movies or, or uh, uh, popular media, you're fully conscious. You're aware of what's going on. Nobody's going to be coming out barking like a dog or clucking like a chicken. Um, <laughs> you're, aware, you're, you're just in a much more receptive state so that it doesn't result in in, in, in the same kind of wall. We normally in, in higher brain waves, like the, the, the states we're in right now, um, there's, there's, we're, we're in a, a high, we are in alpha, right? Alpha right now. And there's a lot of logic, a lot of reason going on, but there's not a whole lot getting through to unconscious. And that's why if we're having a conversation and and you've been with somebody, oh yes, all that makes really good sense. I'm going to do that. And then somehow it doesn't happen. It's because unconscious is sort of running the show. Yeah. So unconscious responds really well to imagination when it's in that state. Imagination, it responds really well to correlation. So things that seem to happen that are correlated become associated. And that's why um, someone can hear a certain sound and that sound was correlated with a, a prior event. And so they can then begin to pair that sound with that feeling. So we can use that to our advantage whenever we're communicating with unconscious. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that I think ties in really well with what I've heard you talk, both talk a lot about, about routine, is that unconscious responds to actions. The actions that we take, the identity that we begin to form begins to sink in. And identity, and this is one of the beautiful things about building a system of habits is that is that is 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 you find the identity that you're wanting you ask yourself what are the people who have that identity what are they doing mm-hmm. you identify what those things are and then you begin to find out what are the smallest ways that i can begin to build those habits into my routine And then what I'm doing when I'm doing that is I'm signaling to my unconscious that there's a new identity. There's Mm -hmm. a new identity running the show. So if I want to be a writer, I would be much better off writing for two minutes a day than I would writing for one hour a month. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm taking that repeated action, I'm signaling to my unconscious, this is important. This is my new identity. And so whether you're going to an AA meeting, you're meditating, you're taking actions that are signaling and kind of pre-paving the way for the identity. Mm. Oh, how amazing. That was amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Oh, my repeated action, even just the smallest things. And that is so much, I mean, oh my gosh, this is huge. But just what they say when you first come in the rooms, find somebody who has what you want yeah, and you stick with that person. It's a lifeline. And then you start copying small because you're not, I also like speak for myself. I was not well. So when I went in, I was like, I can do that. I can do that. I cannot do that yet. Mm-hmm. It was like little, 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 but then all of a sudden I am that I mean, mm. this, that was wild. Oh my gosh. That was amazing. Joe. Thank you. So many, so many takeaways from that. So Joe, what do you do on the daily? Mm. Oh, what is my daily routine? So every day looks a little bit different depending on what uh, schedule I have with clients. I see clients generally Monday through Thursday. So something that I knew that I wanted is to, um, to have that Friday, Saturday, Sunday to do recreational things. Um, so So that's one one way. That's one thing, right? It's, it's having that space to just be with yourself, right? For, for longer than what we're trained or what we're taught that we should be like, you know, Monday through Friday, right? It's like, that's another thing we can break out of. We don't have to like live in that Mm. anymore. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So 
every morning, I start every morning with a uh, self-development, some kind of self-development um, meeting. And I usually will attend those meetings either Zoom or in person. And that really gets the day started off right. Um, I go for a walk if I'm going to that uh, in person. I'll listen to an inspirational podcast, an educational podcast. I'll listen to the Two Sober Girls podcast. <laughs> Inspiration and education. Um, so having that and then and then building in connection. So um, scheduling time to call people during the day. And and I can so one of my one of one of the excuses that I used to use was I'm too busy to connect with people. I'm too busy to have a conversation. Um, and what I realize is that I can build in, even if it's a five minute conversation between sessions with the client, I can build those things into my day and getting out of my own head, connecting with someone else and trying to be as cliche as it sounds, trying to be of service to someone, just trying to help someone else. What I have found is that what I usually think is going to make for a fun day usually doesn't make for the fun day. When I'm usually happy is when I've had one of those days, I look back and I say, wow, I connected with people. I helped somebody. Um, yeah. I recently went to, uh, I, I took a day and I went to the US Open tennis tournament. I thought, you know, and this, and it's so much fun. I thought this is going to be the thing that's going to make me so happy. And I found <laughs> at the end of the day, I was less happy after that. And it had nothing to do with who won the game, the matches, but I was less happy after a day like that than I was after a day when I was seeing a lot of clients, I was connecting with people. So I think they're, they're the important thing for me. And I, I think for others is to really be present to how do I feel after what I do and break some of the notions that self-care has to look a certain way. Sometimes the most self-care thing that I can do is to pick up the phone and call someone else. That actually results in me feeling better than I would feel if I did a, you know, if I, I did I did one of those things that I think is gonna make me feel better. Yeah, I love that. I love that question. How do I feel after I do the things I do? Right, that's huge. And I think you touched upon something that it's in all of us, it's at our core of who we are, regardless of what we believe. The highest form of love is sacrificial. And like, we are drawn to that. And that's like the most satisfying place to be, but we are in a culture that is me-centric. Mm. This is my to-do list and I have to do, and I'm accomplishing, I'm becoming. But I so agree with you, Joe, like when I have a day in service and like, I can just truly love somebody just to love them and not wanting anything back. That is what I'm the most fulfilled. That's when I'm most connected to God. And that's when I'm the most peace. So thank you for that reminder because we are blessed to have these lives where we can go to the US Open and we can schedule these things. And then I've had those days too, where I'm like, I'm miserable. Like I'm actually not enjoying this. And this was my time. And it's such a great reminder of like, maybe we have to be reminded of what does make us tick and what's at the core of humanity. Yeah. That was great. Love it. Love it. So Joe, this has been amazing. I think we should do this yeah. like part two. Um, but if you are listening right now and are super pumped up about these topics and ideas and you want to explore more, Joe and I are going to have a masterclass in October. It's going to be October 5th at 12 PM. Um, and we're going to really dive in and give you really practical tools. Would you say we can even do some hypnosis on there and some things that we can do to tap into our subconscious mind? We will. We yeah. will. Yeah. We will. Well, it's, it's going to be an amazing masterclass and, and it's gonna be on trauma, um, recovery, whether you are, you know, in recovery or not, but it can be in recovery to anything. Um, that's going to be, I'm super excited about, about that one with you. Uh, so we want to invite you to that. Um, I'll put the link, uh, to join in the, um, in the show notes, but Joe, I love you. Um, are there any last, um, words that you want to part with, um, and with our listeners, like what is something that they can do today, every day, or right now um, that will 
allow themselves to be more conscious and tap into that subconscious and work with it, what can they do? I think the first, <clears throat> the most important thing is to recognize that your body and your, your subconscious, the whole, everything is your friend. It's, 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 because it, at a lot of, a lot of times when unconscious is having what, what I'm referring to as a data misread, there can be a sense of my body or my mind is out to get me. Why is this happening? Ah, oh, how could this be happening again? And right at this moment when I don't want it to be happening. And all it really is, is it's just misinformed in what you really need. It, it's really, you know, again, I'm talking about it like it's a separate entity, but unconscious really is just trying to protect and lead to your survival, to your thriving. <clears throat> so recognizing that takes a little bit of the edge off of how could you be doing this to me? And then recognizing that all anything that could be causing that data misread can be cleared. It's all, it's all possible. So no matter what has happened to you and I can, I, you know, and I, of course I would never even get into to some of the stories from working with clients, but I have seen people be able to be clear from mm -hmm. some of the most, you know, uh, incredible uh, traumatic things that they've been through and, and, the other thing that I would say to anybody is if you're having one of those moments and you just feel like, God, I've been through so much. Why is this happening now? Is to just take a moment and to just check your pulse and, and put, your, put your finger on your pulse and feel your pulse and just know that everything that unconscious, that your body, that everything that everything that has happened has led to your survival. You're here, you're here right now. So you won. <laughs> you won. And it's okay to relax and to breathe and yeah. to, yeah. 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 Beautiful. And there's a way through. There's only hope. There's only hope. Wow. I love both of you. Thank you, Joe, for sharing your love, your wisdom all the things with us. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you and perhaps book a call with you or. Yeah, it's been my pleasure to be on here. And so uh, you can find me at habitarchitects.com. Habitarchitects.com. All my contact info is on there. And I'll put it in the show notes as well. Okay. Alrighty guys. Well, thank you for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next time. Have a beautiful day. Love you all. Bye. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.